Good morning, church. Worship was incredible. It was so good. And uh, Greg's offering message, I could have just given him my sermon time for him to keep going. That was so good. He's such an excellent communicator. Um, Actually, he's going to be bringing the word next week, so we're excited to hear from him. I've already got a preview of his notes. It's going to be good. You should come. Uh, last week was Dana, amazing Dana, amazing job. Thank you so much, Dana. What a great word. Talking about the mercy seat. If you didn't catch it, catch it online. Uh, today, we are going to move into a standalone. So I'm not in a series, just a, a standalone. It's just something that's on my heart. I wanted to share with you. Is that all right? Very good. Um, Have you ever, like me, have you ever just needed a wake-up call? Now, I'm not talking about in the hotel. When you get there and you need to be up by 7, so you schedule a wake-up call. I'm talking about a, a wake-up call, you know, like you are a point, at a point in your life where you knew it was time to get serious. You, were, you knew it was time to stop playing games and it was time to get serious about something or someone or, you know, anyone? Is it just me? Okay, okay, good. So you understand, like, for real, for real this time. You know, you ever looked in the bathroom mirror and you're like, no, for real. I know I said this last month, but for real, for real, for real this time, it's time to get serious. I've had several wake-up calls in my life. Many, actually. There's not just one. Um, there's usually a biggest one, but you can have many. I wrote down a few. One of the wake-up calls for me was a day that I was in the shower. Sorry, son. I was in the shower, and I was about 18, 19 years old, and I felt Holy Spirit. I'd, I'd been dating this really wonderful girl. my wife, Carrie, but she had dumped me, and I won't, it's not my sermon to tell you all the details why she did all that, because also she has a microphone accessible, so I'm not getting into any of that, but she had dumped me, and she was seeing someone else, and, and I knew, knew him, and he was a good guy, and he was successful, and he was going somewhere, and I was in the shower in Austin, Texas, and I, as sure as I'm talking to you today, God spoke to my heart and said, you need to go get that girl. You need to win her over. So I, I heard it and I was like, yes, Lord. So I dried off and, and I took off after a pursuit to pursue my wife. I, I ran to break up that love connection and I did it. I did it. I, I slid in like you would not believe. And she, the truth is, she couldn't say no to this. <laughs> because God had put it in her heart to say yes to this. But that day in the shower was a day that changed my life. It really did. There was another, another day I recall where I realized I had to mean business. And that was the day that I realized that there is not another drop of alcohol left on planet Earth that could ever benefit me. I'm talking about me, not you. I came to a place in my life 
where I could choose alcohol or my family. And I knew it was time to mean business. <laughs> it, it was time in that moment. Now, I'm not one to preach against alcohol. That's not what this sermon is about. But I will be the first to tell you that I am fully convinced that alcohol is a snake and you never know when it's going to bite. But that's not my sermon today. My point is there was a day where I had had enough and thank God I had enough and I was done and I meant business with God, with alcohol, with my family. There, there are many days, many times in our lives where we mean business. Oftentimes I realize it's time to mean business every time I step into a fitting room and try on pants. So I want to talk to you today on the subject of it's time to mean business. It's time to mean business. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. I thank you so much for the, the people in this room that are gathered together. I thank you for the people watching online as they lean into what you have to say to us. Holy Spirit, just rock the boat today. Just shake our hearts today. Help us to become alive and aware and awake today. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, amen, amen. amen. I'm going to be jumping around scripture today, so uh, I'll probably start in, or I will start in the book of Luke, chapter 12. If you'll open there, it's, it's a great chapter. It's rich with direct content from Jesus himself. If you see red letters on the page, anytime you see red letters, that means what? It means that Jesus is speaking, right? Luke chapter 12 is pretty much, pretty much all of Jesus speaking. Uh, he's speaking to three different types of people. He's talking to Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of the day. Now, not all Pharisees were bad. We, we tend to think we use the word Pharisee as if it's a dig. Not all Pharisees were bad. There were Pharisees, leaders of the law, who had a heart toward Jesus. Just think of Nicodemus, right? They're, they were experts in the law. They were called Pharisees. Jesus was also talking to the, the crowd. There was a, a big crowd there, a large crowd of many thousands of people that he was talking to. And he was also, in Luke chapter 12, talking to his disciples. So we've got Pharisees, disciples, and a large crowd. It got a little confusing on who Jesus was talking to throughout this text. And at one point, uh, Jesus says, Keep your lamps burning. Blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. And then Peter, Peter stops and says, Wait a minute, Lord. Are you, are you talking to them? Or them? Or us? Or all of us? Right? He, Peter gets a little bit confused, and he's trying to clarify the audience. So Jesus gets Peter on the same page. He's, he catches him up in the conversation, and then he digs deeper on why Jesus came here. Like, what is the meaning? What is the business that Jesus came to do? We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 49. And Jesus says this. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, which he's talking about the baptism of death. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. 
Now, I'm really glad this is not Christmas time because this would make a horrible Christmas sermon. <laughs> in Christmas time, we need the peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Uh, but in July, verse 51, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So he's looking over He's looking over the crowd of people, thousands of people, and he's letting them know right here in this text that the gospel will set you apart. That's what he's saying. They're saying there's, there will be a division, right? His, his goal is not necessarily to divide, but he's saying if you're following Jesus, there will be a division because the ethos of Jesus is so radically different from the world The division is inevitable. Let me say that again. The ethos, the ethics, the framework, the philosophies, the end goal of Jesus is so radically different from the world that division is inevitable, right? There will be division. And so for the homes with five people, three against two, two against three, it's, it's really saying if some are pursuing Jesus and others are not, you can expect a turbulent home. Because those who are following Jesus have a different set of ethics, ethos, worldview, goals, agendas. And thanks to Twitter, by the way, we've all gotten a little lazy with the term follower of Jesus. Some of us follow Jesus like we follow our neighbor on Twitter. And we just click follow, and as long as we have follow, we're just classified as our neighbor's friend. Right? But some of us think that following Jesus means that maybe we have to unfollow some other things. But that's not true. We have to unfollow everything. Our concept of following Jesus has been shaped by social media. I preached about this weeks ago. I won't go back into it about how following Jesus is more like following the driver in the car in front of you that's taking all the turns and you don't have, you don't have a GPS in your car. So you've got to hit the gas, hit the brake. Some of you are excellent people to follow behind. Other you, others of you, not so much. Some of you, I won't mention any names, Chris Bro. Some of you will just take off in Houston traffic, weaving safely, apparently, and you are impossible to follow. But guess what? Jesus is not impossible to follow. But we have to understand what following Jesus really means. It's a life goal. It's not just something we can click on Twitter. So Jesus in this text is saying that fire is coming, which I'm not talking about that one line today. That's one of the most Difficult understandings in Scripture to understand, by the way. I'm not talking about it. Uh, We could have a chat uh, later. If you want to know more about that one verse, I can talk to you about what is the fire. Is it judgment or is it Pentecost? There is uh, a lot of good information on that. But Jesus says fire is coming, but not yet. Jesus says a baptism of death is coming, but not yet. Jesus is impeccable at timing. 
He understands when things should happen, when they should slow down, when they shouldn't happen. I mean, I imagine sitting around with Jesus and he's telling, he's got to be the best storyteller and joke teller ever. Like the timing of his jokes, impeccable. Because he discerns the times. And he goes on in verse 54, he says to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west over the Mediterranean, you say at once, a shower is coming, and it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing from over the desert, uh, you say that there's going to be scorching heat, and it happens. Verse 56, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? You see, these people knew how to read the weather, but they couldn't read the time. They could read the temperature in a room, which was 68 before all of you got in here. Now it's hitting 71, still too cold for my wife, not cold enough for me. Many of us can read the temperature in a room, but can we read the temperature in the spirit? Many of us can feel the wind, which way the wind is blowing, but can we discern which way the Spirit of God is blowing? What is God breathing on in your life right now? You see, Jesus, to follow Jesus, someone that is impeccable with timing, gives you and I the permission to be impeccable with timing too. The catalyst to getting serious and meaning business, like when you're in the shower or like when you've had that last drop of alcohol, or when you're standing at JCPenney's and you're crying in front of the mirror, that, that thing that causes you to mean business, the catalyst for that is having the capacity to interpret the time. I mean, we all know somebody who should have quit drinking a long time ago, but they can't see the time. We all know people who should have stopped with the resentment long, long ago, but they don't know the time. We all know people who should have given their life to Jesus, surrendered to him, given up control to him, but they don't know the time. So my goal today for us is let's talk about what time it is. It's time to mean business. Some of us today are stuck in cycles of dysfunction. You, you've known it. You know it. Your spouse knows it. Your kids know it. It's time. It's time to come up out of the dysfunction. Some of us are stuck in cycles of addiction. You've tried to beat it on your own. You keep saying you'll never, you'll never, you'll never, but somehow you do. Listen, nothing changes if nothing changes it's time. Some of you are stuck in fear, isolation, and self-sabotage. It's time that we stop partnering with that. Did you know that, that fear doesn't just happen to knock on your door and just sit in on your couch without you opening the door? Fear is something that we choose to partner with. It's, it's time. It's time to mean business with all the things that God says that you can have. It is time to mean Business. Some of us are in toxic relationships riddled with anger and resentment, manipulation and control. And it is time for there to be healing in that relationship. It's time. You've been running from counseling since 
your spouse told you it was required and you've been making excuses, it is, it's time. Some of us are stuck in insecurity. We, we put on a big face and we act like we know what we're doing and we're real flamboyant, we're real extra because we want everyone to think that we, we've got it all figured out, but the reality is you are really grappling with insecurity and you don't have to. But know this, you will never get good enough to outrun insecurity. It is only the God confidence that can stir within you to push insecurity out of the door. And you will always deal with insecurity until you get down with business with God. It is time to mean business. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time. The truth is there are probably a ton of issues that we could come to terms with today uh, to say that it's time, it's past time to mean business. But I want to zero in on the business that Jesus is talking about here uh, in our text. He was saying to these people that they could forecast the weather, but they were totally oblivious to the fact that the Messiah had come. Now, keep in mind the Jews in this time they, it had been prophesied, the first coming of Jesus had been prophesied for generations and everyone was looking for him. And when he finally showed up, check, checking off every prophecy about the first coming, most of the Jews couldn't see him. They couldn't discern that it was time. It was time for Jesus to come. He tells them to stay awake. They couldn't they couldn't see that the kingdom wasn't near. The kingdom was here. And Jesus tells them in this text to stay awake. He encourages them to discern the times. Some of us have been praying for miracles that I think God already has a miracle in your hand. You've just not been able to discern that the miracle is in a form that you've not been asking for. Discern the time. Jesus says to them, to stay awake. You know, Scripture is about 27, 28% prophecy. Um, if you, we were to cut out all the prophecy in Scripture that was foretelling uh, the first coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, uh, the rise and fall of Israel, and the rebuilding of Israel, and the regathering of Israel, and all the prophecy comes out to about one-third. Prophecy of his first coming was fulfilled literally. The way it was written was the way it was fulfilled. It wasn't an allegory. It wasn't symbolic. All the prophecy regarding his first coming was fulfilled literally. So I have no reason to second guess the fact that prophecy regarding his second coming will be fulfilled literally. I don't think that God, he may, he can, he can do what he wants. He's God. But I don't think he's going to change his mode, methods of operation and now suddenly move to symbolic interpretation, metaphorical interpretation. I believe that what he did the first coming, he's going to do on the second coming. And I'm finding more and more headlines these days that are supporting a literal interpretation of end times Bible prophecy. Now we know that scripture or from scripture that Jesus is going to come back. I suppose not everybody here is up to speed. So let me just catch you up like Jesus did with Peter for a moment, right? 
Jesus is going to come back. And, and just like the Jews who were alive in the first coming were totally unaware, I'm making it my goal that here at the Exchange Church, we're not unaware of the times. We are able to discern the time and to see the headlines scroll. And guess what? We don't even have to be afraid of what we see because we know the Bible has already told us how it ends. We, we know what's going to happen. We're not caught off guard. Well, let's see what the Apostle Paul says about the return of Jesus in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. Now that word caught up is harpazo. Harpazo. Um, in the Latin Vulgate translation, it's raptoro. That, that's the word we get rapture from. So if you ever hear anyone talking about the word rapture and someone says rapture's not in the Bible, they're correct. The word rapture's not in the Bible. You know what else is not in the Bible? The word Bible. You know what else is not in the Bible? The word Trinity. There are a lot of words and things that we use that aren't specifically explicitly stated in Scripture. That doesn't mean the concepts and the precepts are not there. We find here the word caught up harpazo is the snatching away. It is the rapture. There is coming a day, I don't know when, but there's coming a day where Jesus will split the sky and in a moment you will be transformed from mortal to immortal. You will have a a glorified body, and we will be caught up in the air. That's called the rapture. And together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, so we will always be with the Lord. Verse 18 says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So you and I should be talking about the rapture for no other reason but to encourage each other. The Bible says the rapture Hey, let's forget about the timing of the rapture. I'm not even addressing that. The rapture is going to happen. Whether you believe it's pre, mid, pre-wrath, or post, the Bible is very clear that there's going to be a rapture. We can all, well, I don't know if we can all agree on that because there are some other philosophies out there, but we know that there is a rapture. We can agree that there is a rapture, and the Bible says that we get to actually encourage one another with that encourage one another means that I get to push you forward in building the kingdom because we are living in light of eternity. I don't get to visit you while you're on the couch eating popcorn, choosing to just sit down with Netflix and do nothing for the kingdom and say, it's okay, one day you're going to be transformed and God is going to snatch you away. That's not the encouragement of the rapture. I get to encourage you to keep moving forward and keep meaning business for the kingdom because there's coming a day, and we don't know when it is, that the rapture is going to happen and we will have no more opportunity to win people for Jesus Christ. And here's the reality. I don't know if the rapture, I believe the rapture is going to happen while I'm alive, but even if it doesn't, I'm still living in my end days. I mean, I'm, I'm 48. How old am I, honey? 48. Old enough to not even know. I'm already going downhill. I I rebuke that. That's not true. I'm going uphill. But uh, 
Yeah, okay. That's right. That's right. It, that's true. My point is, somebody's going to see the rapture. It may be us. I think it will be us. But the rapture is a concept that we get to encourage one another with. Chapter 5, now concerning the times and the seasons. Now this is important because earlier we saw that Jesus was just kind of, you know, calling out Pharisees for being able to tell the weather but not knowing the seasons, right? Jesus here said, or Peter, Paul, somebody in the Bible writes, (laughs) now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, will come like a thief in the night while people are saying, peace and safety. Are we? Wait a minute. Is the world saying, what? while people are saying, peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, everyone say, but you. I imagine Peter saying, but who? Them? Them? Me? But you. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. The followers of Jesus who are doing more than a a Twitter follow will not be caught off guard when Jesus returns. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, it says this again, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. The return of Jesus should comfort those who were in Christ for two reasons, really. Number one, as we see the day approaching, we can rest in knowing that we're not destined for wrath. There is judgment coming on the world, and you're not destined for it. You're a son, you're a daughter, no matter what the world looks like or the trajectory of culture, you are not destined for wrath. You have a promise from God of rescue, a snatching away, a a quick pulling up from this place, no matter how bad it gets, because you're not destined for wrath. We should be happy. But the second reason we should be happy is you're not going to be caught off guard. The day's going to surprise the world like a thief, but you will not be caught off guard because you're watching and you're waiting. I don't know when Jesus is returning. But man, end times is kind of my thing. It's my jam. I, it's my hobby. Like I, I watch the news and, and the Bible is... I really never thought I'd see the day where the Bible came so alive to me where I literally see what's on CNN, BBC all these news outlets, I see it in scripture and I I just want to shout from the rooftops. And I I stopped posting so much on social social media. A lot of people unfriended me because it freaked them out. But like Jesus is is getting close, y'all. You can look at the news and see the Bible is 
being fulfilled. Can I just share with you a few end time signs? A few, just a few, like 18. (laughs) The Bible says that in the end times, nation will not rise against nation. That's in Luke chapter 21, Matthew 24. We know that is an end time sign. Now, you can take any one of these and you can look back through history and say, yeah, we've had World War I, we've had World War II, we've had these things, but it's when we see them all converging together that we should stand up and take notice, all right? Nation against nation. I don't know if you're keeping up with the news or not, but the world is kind of a hot mess. You've got Iran against Israel. You've got, uh, let's see, Russia and Ukraine going at it. Right now, today, maybe, uh, you've, got, you've got the United States of America sending their carriers to the South China Sea to escort Miss Pelosi. I, I don't know her official title. or Can I say Miss? I don't know. I'm not trying to be disrespectful if there's, if there's a better title for that. But Nancy Pelosi is going to Taiwan. China says, uh, you're not doing that. And so China is, is staring down the nose of U.S. right now, and I don't know when. Uh, she hasn't gotten there yet, to my, the best of my knowledge. I checked before service, but uh, it's, it's nation against nation. It's a big deal. The tensions that are going on all across the globe right now, and it's not just a pocket in one area. It's everywhere. It's nation against nation. Also, the Bible says in the end days there will be pestilence. Another word for pestilence could be pandemic. <laughs> oh, okay, check. Uh, we've, we've got that pretty much covered. Um, we've, we've just got one down. I don't know that we can say COVID is over. It keeps rearing its little head. Um, but then we've got monkeypox around the corner. We've got, uh, I'm sure there'll be another one. I don't know. Uh, because pandemics are just the end thing right now. Uh, but that's, that's being fulfilled. The Bible talks about earthquakes. And uh, earthquakes will increase in the end times. And in 2021, there was an article written by the Incorporated Research Institution for Seismology. And they reported that from 1900 to 1969, we had about six major earthquakes every 10 years. Today, we have major earthquakes twice a month. And a great earthquake, which shakes the entire globe, whether you feel it or not, is happening once a year. The Bible talks about famine in the last days. I'm not really a... not really a... a doomsday kind of guy. I don't want to paint a, a picture of like, oh, what's happening? But I don't know if you've seen in the news... Famine's on the horizon. Some of the sharpest minds in America, and I'm not talking about people that are given naturally to conspiracy theories. Jordan Peterson, very intelligent. He's not in America. He's Canadian. Extremely intelligent. Suggests that we will experience famine by the fall of this year. One reason why we are trying to start a food bank out front just to help all of us should something happen. Ever heard of uh, supply chain issues. We thought it was no big deal last year when the ships started stacking up from China just outside of California, and it, it was 10, then 15, then 20, then 40, then 50, then over 100. And, and, and now you go to the store, you go to Walmart, and you buy those favorite chips. They've been out for a year. You buy the chips, and they're like one week until expiration. 
because they've been sitting on the ocean for so long. You look at wheat, another end time Bible prophecy, according to Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, in the end time, there will be hyperinflation, and one of those markers will be wheat. It will cost an entire day's wage for a loaf of wheat bread. I don't even know what sourdough is going to cost, because that's the best. A full day's pay for one loaf of wheat bread. Is it not interesting to you that the greatest wheat supplier in the world is in Ukraine? And it now can't be produced because of the world? The war? Is it not concerning to you that wheat growth is down in other parts of the world because of the drought? Everything that you're eating that's in your pantry and in your cupboard right now is not what's being produced right now. It's what has already been produced and is making its way to your home. There's coming a time where all of these shortages that we have are going to catch up to the kitchen table. The Bible talks about famine. The Bible talks about deception in the last days. If you can't see deception, then you're the one deceived. The Bible talks about apostasy. There's going to be a falling away from sound doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says people will become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now maybe it's just me because I'm a pastor and I've got a lot of pastoral connections and I keep a, a pulse of what the church leadership is doing, but there are an awful lot of pastors who have jumped ship on the gospel. Falling in love with man more than in love with God. Having a form of godliness, but not having the power to change. Not having the power to transform. Not having the power to redeem. Listen, you can love somebody all day long, but you can love them straight to hell if it's not through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary. And in the last days, the church is going to lose its mind. Not this church. The global church, not this church. Many, and by the way, there are so many great churches in this area. I think we've got this area covered, but, but pray for Arkansas. <laughs> the Bible talks about Russia rising to power in the end of days. Russia will be the leader in Ezekiel 38. Um, that will join alliance with two other nations. Actually, it was in the news two weeks ago, a picture of these three leaders, and I couldn't believe it because they've never hung out before. They, they aren't like football buddies. Russia, Persia, which is, the Bible says Persia, but we know that is Iran, and Turkey. Russia, Iran, Turkey. Now Putin flew there just a couple of weeks ago to meet with all three of them, and, and they've got a picture of Putin the Ayatollah and Erdogan of Turkey, all shaking hands, three, a three-way handshake with this little sinister smile on their face. Now, I'm, I don't know what the plan is, but I know what the Bible says. The Bible says Putin, maybe not Putin, I retract that statement. It's Gog, the leader of Rosh, which we know to be Russia. 
It may not be Putin at that time. It could be someone, it could be his, the next guy in line who's even worse than he is. Who knows? But we know that Russia will be the leader in the end of days. It's not a coincidence that these nations are now coming together. The Bible also talks about, uh, in Isaiah 17, that Damascus will be a ruinous heap. It will be uninhabitable. Something is going, it hasn't happened yet. Keep your eyes out for it. I actually don't think we'll be here for it. But if you see it happen, then you increase your tithe because you know you heard it here first. (laughs) Damascus is going to be a ruinous heap. Now, what's happening in Damascus? Well, right now, uh, you know, Iran pretty much runs Syria, right? Syria is like a nation, but it's, it's it's a proxy of Iran. And in Damascus, the airport of Damascus, Iran is shipping in their equipment, uh, their weapons, which for 10 years, we have heard that Iran has been working on nuclear capabilities. In just the past 10 days, they have admitted to reaching the ability for nuclear capacity. Iran is there. They could now take out Israel if they wanted to, but they can't because the scripture already says how that's going to end too. But they could if they wanted to. They've made threats against the United States of America with nuclear capabilities. And just in the past 10 days, we've had Israel bombing Damascus, the airport, trying to take out the weapons that Iran is shipping. Now, what would happen, do you think, if Iran ships nuclear weapons over into Syria to get closer to Israel, and Israel happens to bomb the nuke that's being transported, suddenly Damascus is demolished? It's going to happen, maybe not through that method, but it's going to happen because Isaiah 17 says it's going to happen. It's on the horizon. They're already there gathering the northern border of Israel. They're gathering in Damascus, ready to take Israel out. The Bible also talks about a Psalm 83 war. Psalm 83 war is a war of Israel surrounding enemies who wants to take Israel out. Some people believe that's already happened I don't. I don't have time to tell you why I believe it's not happened yet. Um, except we still see a surrounding people that want to take Israel out. We've got the Hamas, Hezbollah, Palestinian Authority. We've got uh, 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 the, the uh, I can't remember Muslim Brotherhood uh, in Jordan. We've got people all around Israel that's ready to pounce. And and Psalm 83 tells us there's going to be a war, and they're going to come against Israel. And guess who's going to win that war? Guess who's going to win that war? No, God. (laughs) Israel won't won't even be able to lift a finger because God is going to come on the scene and destroy the enemies. And you know why he's going to do it? Because he's going to prove to the world that Israel is his land. It is his people. It's not because he doesn't like anyone. He's he's using the situation to bring glory to himself so that people will repent. God is going, if you believe in scripture, God is going to win the Psalm 83 war. Can I give you a few more? I know I'm running out of time. We know in the last days that there's going to be a one world religion, Revelation 13. Did you know that this year, 2022, the Chrislam building was opened in Abu Dhabi? It's where there, are, there is a mosque, there is a temple, and there is a, a church, a synagogue a, for, for uh, Islam, uh, for Catholics, for Protestants, all, all areas of faith. An interfaith organization is, is opened now. The one world religion, it was prophesied, thought it would never happen, it's here. The, the, world, uh, the Bible talks about a one-world government, also Revelation 13. It's here. 
It's not the United Nations, by the way, if you think that's it. The, the United Nations is too weak. They'll never be the one world government. I'll tell you who I think it is. I think it's the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum is really applying pressure and leverage right now to all the nations of the world to do what they say and to behave how they want. And that is going to transition into a very easily, very easily a one world government. The Bible also says there will be a cashless society. Just this week, Israel has made it illegal to transfer cash, give cash to one another if it's over like $1,500 because they want to track everything that is spent. It's got to be on credit card. You can't even use a check. It's got to be on a debit card or credit card. Check into it. It's true. Israel established it this week. And listen, Israel is the first. It's going to trickle down to everyone else. We are headed to a cashless society. We're there. The Bible talks about in the end of days, it will be like the days of Noah and Lot. Days of Noah, what, what is that, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. The days of Noah filled with violence. We have more violence in our globe than ever before. You even sense it just in line at HEB. People are so edgy. People get upset so easily. People are, are, it feels more unsafe now than ever before. Now, I'm only 48 years old, so maybe if I were older, there might be another time in history where, where culture felt unsafe. But in my 48 years, I, I sense that there's an uneasiness. So much so that my kids in my home, now I know parents, your kids probably don't want to hear this and you probably won't do this. But in my home, I ask my kids to be home by 10 or, or at least After dark, don't be in a restaurant right now. Things are going off. Things are happening unexpectedly. Like we've got to be more vigilant and more aware than ever before because before Jesus comes, violence is going to skyrocket. Joel chapter 3 tells us that just before Jesus comes, there's going to be a dividing of Israel. In fact, oddly enough, that's God's motivation for bringing judgment to to the earth. Because we've divided his land. Right now, there's a a push, a very strong push for a division of Israel, dividing of God's land. It's not Israel's land, by the way. It's God's land. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in scripture, then you know this. It's not a land for the people of Israel. It's a land that God has set aside. It's, It's God's land. And as we divide God's land, that's going to usher in judgment from the king. We also know in Daniel 9 that there's a third temple. Now, I'm not Jewish, and I don't worship in a, a temple, so it really means nothing to me other than the Bible says there's going to be a temple, right? And because I know that's going to be in the end of time, when I see that the temple's coming prepared, I know we're getting close. Did you know they have every component for the temple right now ready to go? They can assemble this temple within, I've heard, as low as 48 hours. I've heard other estimates of six months, but the biggest interesting piece of news is they have two red heifers available. Now, a red heifer has to be a heifer with no, no blemish, no sliver of white hair, only red hair. And then they're going to, sac- the Jews will sacrifice that to dedicate the temple. They've got two red heifers right now that qualify, and they haven't had red heifers without blemish in generations. And they only qualify for a small window of time. I think it's somewhere between the age of two and three as an animal. So we're, we are ready to go for the temple. I won't be here to worship in it and you won't either, but it's a good indicator that we're getting close. Jesus refers to all of these last things as birth pains. 
they'll start happening more frequently and more intense. All of these things that I've just listed. Again, we could have taken any one of these the past 100 years and we could see them at play, but to see all of these at play, it's a convergence. And they will happen more frequently and stronger intensity. But Jesus says, when you begin to see these things come to pass, to look up, for your redemption draws nigh. So if we believe that Jesus is returning, we only have one option. Occupy. There's a story that Jesus tells in Luke 19 about a master who left and who's going to be crowned king and then he comes back and he gives 10 of the servants 10 minas. A mina was about 100 days worth of wage. In, in our context, about 20 bucks. But for them, it was a big deal. He gives them 10 minas. And the master is away. And when the master comes back, he, he calls account of the servants. And he says, what have you done with the mina that I gave you? And one person comes up and he says, with the mina you gave me, I invested it and I created 10. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Calls the next guy over and says, what have you done with the mina? And he said, I invested it and I got five minas in return. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he calls another person and that person says, I took the thing that you gave me and I hid it because I was afraid of losing it. I didn't want to take any risk, but here's the thing you gave me back with no interest. And that man was cursed. I found that we're usually in one of two corners of this discussion. We're over in one corner just looking at the news and seeing prophecy roll in and we're ready for Jesus to come back. And that's our entire focus, the return of Jesus. He's coming back, he's coming back. But we stop doing anything for the kingdom. When he does come and he will, don't you hand back one mina. Don't you be the one who took the foot off the gas pedal and acted like your days were over, your ministry was over, your effectiveness was over. What does it matter? All of this bad stuff is happening anyway. What does it really matter? No, you're, you're part of the restraining system. You're part of the church, the global church, the one that's continuing to push the message forward, the one we need to invest what God has given us. And, and then we've got people over here that they're doing an awful lot of work for the kingdom but totally oblivious to the soon return of Jesus and I'm not sure which is better because it's somewhere in the middle when we realize we've got to work we got a mean business but there is a time limit in play I may not have tomorrow to reach my neighbor. I may not have 10 years from now to just slowly get up the courage to be what God wanted me to be, that, that purpose that he's placed inside of me. Today is the day that you and I have to run full force towards the purpose that God has for us. So I encourage you, as you see the world acting a fool, as you see Bible prophecy rolling in, and we don't have to be, fearful. We don't have to be nervous. We don't have to be concerned. 
because we know what it means. It means Jesus is on his way. We also know that we're not destined for wrath. But it also means that we don't have the luxury to not redeem the time. As you see the day approaching, as you see the day approaching, let us hold unswervingly to the hope. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If Jesus really is coming back soon, now's the time to be the church more than ever before. Please stand with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that watching for Jesus doesn't mean we hide out and coast, but it means that we connect all the more and we, accel we accelerate and we step into the purpose and the plans that you have for our life. God, I love the fact that you used business and investing as an example with the Minas. God, I just sense that in the room, you're wanting to just launch some entrepreneurs into the next phase of their business development. God, even though we see the day is approaching, we see Jesus is coming, God, I, I sense that there is a stirring in your people to rise up and to lead in business and to develop the desires that you've placed in their heart. And God, let us occupy. Let us be found faithful with whatever it is that you put in our hands. Let us steward it well and let us run after it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Thank you for being here today. I hope to see you Wednesday at Awaken, our prayer service from 6.30 to 7.30 this Wednesday. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.